Okay, let's see how we do here. Great to see all of you uh, fellowshipping and enjoying saying hi to one another. This is a very loving and welcoming church. I learned that in a lot of ways and recently joining the staff. I was so blessed that uh, Pastor Jeff was kind enough to extend an offer and the elders were gracious to affirm it. So I'm officially part of the staff as it was announced a few weeks ago and I'm loving it. It's really great, I'm very blessed. I have, uh, I have, the, you know, I have the largest office of my life. They, they gave me, I like, I've never had an office this big. It's wonderful, and uh, it even has a heater too, so it's nice. And uh, Windows is great, and I have a key, and that's good too. And I, and I'm, ge I'm getting, you know, set up, right? But well, I had to eat a little humble pie though already, because uh, this week uh, I was, I was in Robin's office, and we're, we're on the phone with, with payroll. And we're trying to just, you know, you got to get the numbers right when you first get, you start getting a paycheck or whatever. And so uh, I'm telling them a certain number as far as taxes. And we're on speakerphone and Robin's there and I'm trying to commute. And I say this number and Robin's like, no, no. And she's trying to be discreet and cover for me. She want to sell me out to payroll, but she's like, no, no. She was letting me know that's not the number we agreed on because we had talked about a number a few days prior. And I'm like, oh, this is the number. This is it. And she's like, no, no. So then she does this. She goes over to her, her notes where she keeps everything organized and she brings it back and she puts it in front of me. And I'm like, oh. So then I'm like telling payroll, hey, I was just pulling your leg, that other number I gave you. <laughs> you know, nervous laughter. That's not what I meant to say. And so we got it all worked out. But in that moment, and this, this ties into our message, I saw an actual example of something Rob and I had talked about uh, a few days before. Am I getting popping? We're, we're just trying to make sure I never get it, and somehow I always do. Okay, so we had had this conversation, and she had said, um, she said, you know what? I keep everything very, very organized. And she said, I want to be able to sleep at night. She says, everything here is, is an open book. I'm not giving up on this. We're going to figure it out. Pastor Jeff showed me earlier and he was determined to make sure I got it right. He literally was up here giving me a tutorial on how to wear a mic. And I've already messed it up. All right. And is it better now? I'm not hearing it. All right, thank you. I'm getting a nod from the boss. So she's telling me how important it is. And she, because she's got to keep track of all these numbers related to the preschool, to income, to budget, you know, ties off, and everything. She's got all these reports and everything. And she said, I want to be able to sleep at night. Everything has to add up. She says, I'm an open book. Anyone could come in and look. And then she said this famous, it was great. I'm like, I can't believe you just said that. She said, I have a clear conscience. I have a clear conscience. Everything is how it should be. And I'm like, I'm going to quote you because I'm preaching on that this Sunday. It comes up in the passage we're going to look at. We all want a clear conscience. We want that. And we want to sleep at night, and we want to be at peace. It's going to come up in a passage today. I was watching a show this week. Uh, Lee and I are watching. It's uh, it's on Cary Grant's life. It's a it's a short mini series, and it's just kind of looking at his life. It's on. I don't I don't know. You'll find it. But it's it's pretty good. But there's a moment where he's back seeing his dad. He grew up. His name was Archie Leach, and he grew up in uh, Bristol, England. And he's back to see his dad request to see him. He's now an adult, big movie star. Hasn't seen his dad in like 30 years. Not a good upbringing. 
And his dad says to him, I have a clear conscience. And he's like, what, what are you talking about? What do, what do you? He's like, I just want you to know I have a clear conscience. And he's, he's like, Dad, what do you? And he says, well, it's about your mom. He had told Cary Grant, Archie, when he was just a boy, your mom died. They took her to the hospital. She died. He grew up his whole, his whole life thinking his mom died when he was like seven or eight or something. And now as an adult man, huge movie, sitting in front of his dad, and his dad's like, I have a clear conscience. What? And then he says, your mom's alive. And, and he's blown away. Cary Grant, he's devastated. He's angry. He's furious. You can't try and tell me you have a clear conscience when you lied to a boy and said, your mom's dead. And, and it goes on from there. But that scene struck me because here's a man who really doesn't have a clear conscience. How do you lie to a child and tell him that? But he's trying to convince himself that he does. And it spoke to me because I'm like, man, that shows you how much all of us, deep in our heart, we want a clear conscience. We want it. Today we're going to look at a passage where the Apostle Paul says, he strives for that. And we're going to look at some things that I think will help us discover how to have it ourselves. How we can really have a clear conscience. We're not, we're not without sin, of course not. But how we can have a clear conscience when we stand one day before Almighty God. So let's take a look at this passage. It is about the Apostle Paul. Now, some of you may be getting a little tired of poor Paul always getting uh, either beaten up or thrown in jail or some kind of horrible thing that happens to him. So I have good news and bad news. The, the bad news is that happens again today. He's, he's once again, you know, under attack. He's getting the worst end of the deal. The good news is at least it's not physical. It's all verbal. He's on trial. He's before Felix, the governor of that era, at that time of Israel. He's in Caesarea. And uh, poor, poor Apostle Paul is having to to go at it again. Now the situation, I'll summarize before I get into the reading. We're in chapter 24, I'm going to start in verse 10. But what has happened is, as he's here on trial, uh, Ananias, the high priest, has arrived from Jerusalem. Some Jewish elders are there also from Jerusalem. And a lawyer, uh, Tertullus, is also there. And he's the one who's the spokesperson bringing charges against Paul. Tertullus sort of starts off by buttering up the governor, Felix. You know, you're such a wonderful governor in so many words. We've prospered so much under your leadership. Thank you, thank you. He just really butters him up to get on his good side. Then he turns the accusations against the apostle Paul. And he says, he's a plague. He's stirring up riots all over the world. He's desecrating the temple or profaning the temple. And he's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect. Like he's just laying down these accusations against Paul. But remember, we talk about Paul having a clear conscience. So he stands there, level-headed, at peace, clear conscience, and he responds. And I want you to hear what he says. Beginning in verse 10. When the governor nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. 
and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogue or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council, other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them. It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of Scripture you've given us. You wanted us to learn from these events, so you kept them and included them in your word. We know they are true and right. Lord, I pray you would show us how to apply them. May these words lift our hearts to you, a sovereign God who is good and who loves us. May we examine our own hearts and learn from this. So we thank you for this time in the scripture. Help us to stay attentive, receptive, and may you be glorified, Lord, in this time and in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, there's three things I want us to look at from this passage and further that I'll read that I think we can take to heart and hopefully have that clear conscience that Paul has. And the first thing I want us to take to heart is this and to try and apply this, because he does. Instead of hurting people, help them. We go through a life like that. Instead of hurting people, I just want to help them. That's what the Apostle Paul did. Now let's talk about the accusation, the hurting part, as they're saying. He refutes ever doing anything to hurt people in Jerusalem or anywhere else. Obviously, it would be hurtful to do what they're accusing him of, starting riots. Riots would be very hurtful to people, innocent bystanders, those who are involved, businesses, law enforcement, many, many, we've seen the news over the years, many people are hurt when there's rioting. And often it's just someone innocent who didn't even know they would be in that circumstance. And it, it unfolds. And so he's saying, I did not do that. Of course, I did not do that. You have no evidence to show that I did it because he didn't. He didn't instigate it. There were sort of riots around him at times, but that came from others, not him at all. And that was the last thing he wanted. So he says, I did not do that. He also pushed back against some of the other things, you know, that he was doing something in the temple, synagogues, anywhere in the city. He didn't cause any riots. Also this accusation that somehow he, he profaned the temple. He did not do that as well. He was purified when he was in the temple. In fact, rather than hurt, he went there to help. And he brings that up, and he says it in kind of a passing little phrase, 
but it's in verse 17. He says, I came to bring alms to my nation. Bringing alms, another way of saying that is he came to help the poor. The persecution that the church went through in Jerusalem was horrible. You remember at the beginning of Acts, we read about the stoning of Stephen. It was so bad that many of the, the Jews that were Christians scattered. They had to leave Jerusalem. This is their home. This is a city they want to be in where they grew up. They had to leave. They just scattered because the persecution was so bad. Those that remained had it very difficult. And, and because it was so difficult, they would lose business, maybe their jobs. And so they were, they were dealt with a lot of poverty in Jerusalem. But this is the headquarters of the church. This is where Peter is and James. You know, the leaders are there. And, and yet they're impoverished. So Paul, as he's traveling around Asia Minor, is taking up offerings. Because different Gentiles who did pretty well for themselves had money. And they cared about the church in Jerusalem, their brothers and sisters in Christ. So they gave. And so Paul and his other missionary team traveled a great distance with this money to give it to the poor, to bring alms to help those in need. And that's what he brings up. He says, I didn't come here to hurt anyone. I came here to help them. Another way he helped is at the end of a, a sort of a, a, an oath that was taken or a vow, Nazarite vow, several men who took this had to bring an offering. Paul covered that expense. He paid for all of them. That's helping them. They could have this very personal experience before God, making this vow and fulfilling it. And at the end of it, maybe they had limited resources, so they couldn't afford the, to, to bring the offering that was needed at the end of that. And Paul said, I'll, I'll cover it. So he covers that for all of them. He just had such a heart to help people. And I think if we're going to have that clear conscience before God, we need to have that same heart to help people, to give, to do what we can. And God expects that of us. We've been blessed with so much. And he doesn't want us to live self-indulgent lives. It's all about me. Our tendency can be that way. Certainly mine can. But God is saying you've got to help people. I think one of the most uh, powerful passages that you will read on this is from the end of Matthew, Matthew 25. These are Jesus' words. This is the end of the age when we stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords. Listen to what Jesus says. You talk about expectations. Listen to this, Matthew 25, 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. That's such a powerful passage, isn't it? Stand before Almighty God. He wants to know that we helped people. And if we want to have a clear conscience, we have, a, have that heart to help. Paul did. He helped the poor, the hungry, the needy. And he would have been one who heard what Jesus also says in that Matthew 25 parable. 
where he says, and the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he says, come and enter your rest. We want to be among those where we take our resources, our effort, our energy, anything we can, and we help people. We want to be before Almighty God with a clear conscience. Lord, you asked me to help, and I did. And we listen for ways. I love that we're a part of a church with uh, fresh beginnings. You know, I told you I've kind of started. I have my key, so I came over here and kind of going indoors. Oh, look, this key opens this door and that door, and I'm wandering around. It's great. And this is such a beautiful old sanctuary. But as I'm looking back there, there's these cabinets, fresh beginnings, and I'm reminded of Pastor Bill's ministry and how he's just helping people in need, and that's a big part of this church supporting that and, and being a part of that. It's wonderful. How can we help people in need? And just to listen and watch for those ways. Years ago, I was part of a, our church had a, out in the parking lot, we built a home in pieces in the church parking lot, put all those pieces on a flatbed trailer, and took it down to Baja. And down there, a family was waiting. And over the weekend, we assembled this little home. And it was just really just kind of a large one room with a loft for the sleeping area. But this little family, and to see just the joy in their eyes, just tears of joy. Because all they had was just whatever sort of shack that they used, just different scraps to put together somewhere to live. And to have a secure home with a lock on the door and a heater and safe. And, oh, they were so grateful. And it was just such a meaningful thing to do. Just a few examples. God gives us those and many more. And just to say, okay, Lord, how do you want me to help people? How do you want? Uh, some months ago, my wife, Lee, had just a heart that said, we need to do more with Samaritan's Purse. So she signed us up in kind of that auto pay. You know, it's so easy. You go online or whatever you call. You give them your credit card, and they just do a certain amount per month. And um, you're able to support this wonderful ministry that way. Well, somehow we changed, it's in time we changed credit cards because, you know, you know when you sign up for the new credit card, you get all those bonus points. And I'm a sucker for bonus points. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I love them. So I did that. But then the credit card for Samaritan's Purse, we didn't have anymore. I had to get rid of that one. So now they're not being supported. And we get a letter like, you know, it's not going through. You don't have this anymore. And so Lee is, is right on it. And, and I gotta, I, this, is just, this is just honesty. There's a part of me that's like, well, I mean, it's a large organization. And if, you know, if we didn't support them for a few months, I mean, they'll be okay. You know, that's a little extra coin in my pocket that I didn't. And, and, and Lee, my, she's, she's not having it. <laughs> she's like, she's on the phone making sure the support was at, you know, caught up to where it was supposed to be. And I was supportive too, but it, it was just the, that moment that we wrestle with, isn't it? Like, yeah, Lord, I want to help people. But sometimes in the moment, it's inconvenient or a little more expensive than I thought it'd be or just a bigger burden in the timing, and so we don't. And I think what comes out of this is, Lord, stir my heart. Please stir my heart and shove me forward when I need it, because I want to help people. You've said that. If they're hungry, I want to help feed them. If, they're, if they need clothing, I want to help clothe them. Lord, please push me forward to help 
and be a blessing to others. That, that's, I think, one of the things that helps Paul say, hey, I have a clear conscience before God and men. I would encourage you with this, with helping people. Be, be willing to step into both the scheduled or structured as well as the random unexpected. I think both are good. The schedule may be, you know, once a week at this time you go help this organization. Or once a month, you know, you, you give to this organization. But it's structured, it's scheduled. It helps make sure it happens. But in addition to that, it's random. You know, Lord, I, I'm just watching and ready. And if you open up a door, I want to step through it. I'm surprised by this person needs, so I'll help them. So I think both the structured as well as the random is a good way to approach it. Because if we just rely on the random, it may not happen near as much as we'd like it to. And so coming up with a structured way, I think, is also very good. So that's the first thing I see in this passage, why he has this clear conscience uh, before God and men. He just he doesn't hurt people. The Apostle Paul is helping people. We can do the same. Here's the second point I think we can take out of this. Believe in God's word and God's son. Believe in God's word and God's son. Uh, the first accusation besides, or is riots, but the second accusation is that he's a ringleader for this Nazareth sect or Nazarene sect. And they're saying also, in addition to that, he really profaned the temple. So that these charges against Paul are really having to do with his faith, with religion, with belief in God. And they're saying he's doing these horrible things. Well, he pushes back against that, saying, I was purified when I was in the temple. I didn't do anything that would be against the law or the scriptures. In fact, he goes to the next point of saying, I worship the God of our fathers. And then he adds, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. Some of his accusers couldn't even say that. Last week, Pastor Jeff talked to us about the Sadducees and why they were so sad. And it was funny and it was just kind of a, well, they're sad because most of the Old Testament, they don't believe. That'd make you pretty sad. Have you read the 23rd Psalm? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That one of the most beautiful psalms ever written. They didn't believe it. That's a prophet who gave it. That's David. Sadducees threw that out. How, how do you not believe that? But that's where they were in their own belief system. And, and Paul is saying, no, 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 no. I believe all of God's word. I believe everything written in the, in the law and the prophets. Not only that, he holds to the traditions. When he went into the temple, he made sure he was purified. He did not bring anyone into the inner temple. They made this accusation, but he says, where are they? These, these are Jews from Asia. They didn't show up because they couldn't defend their accusation. They just blurted it out to create some mass hysteria and start a riot. But they knew they couldn't defend it in any sort of a legal proceedings. So they don't show up at all. Paul has a clear conscience before God and people because he believes in God's word and God's son. Yes, he does bring up, and I love how he does this. They had changed our faith to this Nazarene sect. 
And Paul brings that up. And he says, I confess. He says that according to the way. Another translation says he's a follower of the way. And then he says, yes, I believe everything. Paul is using this moment to affirm what he believes. And I think if we're going to stand before Almighty God and have a clear conscience, we want to be in the same place as he is. Yes, I believe everything written in God's word. And yes, I believe in God's one and only Son. Now, Paul handles it in a way that sort of brings up Jesus without being really direct in this moment. He refers to the way, but wasn't that masterful? Don't say it's a sect. They say the Nazarene sect because in those days, people were identified from the town or by the town they came from. So Jesus was from Nazareth, so they'll call it the Nazarene sect. That's why they said it that way. But Paul changes it beautifully, and he says, I'm a follower of the way. And there's humility in that. He's not a leader. He's just following the way. And in bringing that up and saying it that way, he's quoting Jesus. What did Jesus say in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Paul affirms that, saying he believes in Jesus as the way. And so he can say, and he writes this in 1 Corinthians 4, 4, my conscience is clear but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. And then he ends his statement with the hope and the resurrection. And that's all because of Jesus. To worship God is to believe in his teaching, the prophets, and they all point to Jesus and they point to the resurrection. The Jewish hope of the Messiah and resurrection is fulfilled in Jesus, God's son. And Paul believes it. And later he writes in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I hope that one thing that defines you and defines me is our heart for, our knowledge of God's word. Think of all the things we read every day. How much time are we reading something on our phone? the latest headline, sports updates, or reading about the weather. I always hit today, then I hit tomorrow, then I hit the 10-day, and I'm looking at it, you know, curious. What's the weather going to be like in 10 days? I, you know, I'm not a farmer. I don't even know why it's that important to me, but I'm curious, you know, so I read it. We read so much. Oh, may, may we make sure God's word is something we read. And I hope it's a part of your daily routine. Have a, if you have a verse on the mirror when you're getting ready in the morning, have verses come up on your phone. I have a friend of mine who sends me verses every day, and I read over them, and they're helpful, they're encouraging. Maybe you have a verse on your dash, but God's word must fill us. There's so much we read that truthfully doesn't give us life at all. If anything, it zaps us of our life and energy. But when we read God's word... It speaks to our spirit and our soul. It guides us. It convicts us. It empowers us. And it gives us truth that can change us. In his word, we read about a Savior 
who was perfect and holy, the Son of God, the only human being who ever lived who had no sin at all, and yet the only human being who died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. That's our Savior, Jesus. And he loved us enough to do that for us. And we read in the scripture that if I believe in Jesus, if I confess my sins, he will forgive me and I will have eternal life. We become children of God and have this amazing promise of hope of the resurrection now and forever. Sinners saved by grace. And we read it all in God's word. It's alive. It's living It's God-breathed, and I encourage you to make your life about studying and reading the Scripture. It will change you. And if you just incorporate it into your daily routine, I have Scripture in the morning, my wife, Lee. I think the best way to start your day is to read the Word. And it's a temptation, and I could honestly tell you there are so many days where I sit down with my cup of coffee, and I'm ready to read the Scripture, and everything in me says, just check the news first. Just, just real quick. You know, open the business section. Just check first. Then you can have your time in the Word. The, why is that? There's something about it. That battle, that pushing in so that Scripture is pushed out. And just to say, no, I'm going to start my day with the Word and it's going to fill me and it's going to guide me. And Paul stands there saying, I have a clear conscience because I believe everything laid down in the law, and written in the prophets. That's the second thing I want to take to heart. Well, let's take the third thing to heart based on how this story unfolds. So he's given his defense, going back to chapter 10, beginning in verse 22. I'll read to the end of the chapter. Let's see what happens. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off saying, when Lysias the tribune comes down, I will give your case, or I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Jesus Christ. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Here's the third thing I want us to take to heart for a clear conscience. Share your faith in Christ. Witness for Jesus. Talk to people about what you believe. That there's a God in heaven and he loves us and he saves us through the blood of his son Jesus. There's so many ways to bring up the Lord in conversation And I think we will have a clear conscience when we stand before Almighty God when we were willing to speak on his behalf. And we see the Apostle Paul doing that again and again. And he has a while he can do it. Over two years he is kept in Caesarea. And it all comes comes down to this one guy, Felix, 
he could render a verdict, but he doesn't. He kicks the can down the road, puts it off, saying when Lysias, who was the commander down in Jerusalem, he was the Roman commander who was over the Sanhedrin trial, he was the one who saw the proceedings in the temple, he says, when he comes here, I will decide your case. He would be the ranking Roman official who was over what happened. Now, Paul probably heard that and thought, that's fine with me. Because when Lysias sent Paul to Caesarea, which was the capital, he wrote this. It says it in uh, chapter 23, 29. It says, there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. Lysias has already decided. He put in writing. There's no, Paul should be set free. There's no charge that should have him in prison. But evidently, Lysias never showed up. So what could have been a few days later, he just came down from Jerusalem, gave a, a, this, this information to Felix, Paul's set free. And then Felix would have said, well, it's not my decision, you know. Lysias, may, he's the commander, he said it. So, so he, he could get out of it. But he never showed up. And so Paul finds himself still in custody. But he makes the most of that opportunity. Because he has a chance to witness. And who is he witnessing to? Day after day? Who's the main guy showing up of all people? Felix, the governor. The head guy over all of Israel and Palestine appointed by Rome. But it's really interesting as I read how that goes. Because Paul speaks about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. He's not sugarcoating it for Felix. And, and Felix kind of comes apart at the seams. That's enough. He stomps out. I can't take it. Well, why? Well, Felix didn't have the rosiest past. He was a former slave, but his brother was uh, favored by Emperor Claudius. So Felix is no longer a slave and actually made governor. He knew the right people. But the Jews didn't really like him because he brutally suppressed a riot in Caesarea. And, and the harm against the Jews was such that they didn't like it. But then he took it one step further. Felix did. He arranged for the assassination of a Jewish priest named Jonathan who had criticized him for his misrule. You think of the guilt Felix must have had having a priest killed just because he spoke up and called him out. Not only that, we mentioned uh, Drusilla, his wife. When he met her, she was only 16. She was married to someone else. But he lured her away to be his wife, his third or fourth wife. She was actually the daughter of Agrippa I. And her brother is Agrippa II, who will show up here in the next chapter. So he's got this sort of background with her, with his own rule, you can see why topics of self-control and righteousness and judgment would terrify him. But Paul brought the truth anyway. But what's tragic is the response of Felix. Two years hearing the word. But why is he there? Why does he go back? You heard what it says. He didn't go back to hear truth. He went back hoping for a bribe. And boy, there's something in that. 
And I think we got to open our hearts a little to say, Lord, let there not be any Felix in me. He's in front of the Apostle Paul, the man who wrote half of the New Testament, worked miracles. He's hearing the truth of Jesus Christ. But what does he really want? He wants money in his pocket. This spiritual stuff is okay, but I want material. Give me some money. Show me the money. And oh, we got to look at that and say, Lord, may I never be that way. May I not be so consumed with the material, how much money I have, what I own, what I earn, that it somehow clouds the importance of Almighty God and letting him speak to me in my heart. Because Felix is not getting it. It's right there, but he's just thinking about the money. And so week after week, he waits for the bride. And Paul doesn't give him one. <laughs> he gives him something worth so much more than money. He gives him the truth, the gospel. He teaches him about God. And it's, it's like he's deaf. He, he just wants the money. And we gotta, we got to read that and say, oh, Lord, please never, never let me be that way. Let me hear truth. Let me receive it. And let me talk about it. So for two years... Paul witnesses, and not just to Felix, it says that, but there's others, and this is such a great God story in terms of providing. The verdict is, keep him in custody, but have some liberty. None of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. So for two years, and, and he was, and we read in the chapter before, where is he kept in custody? In the praetorium which was basically the castle or the palace in Caesarea. And you remember back in the day, you know, there was even in big castles, they had a little dungeon sometimes. But sometimes prisoners were kept in a tower, right? And since uh, this says it in a more favorable way, I wonder if Paul didn't have the best view of anyone in Caesarea. <laughs> if he was, he's lock him in the tower. But he wasn't really locked in the tower because he could have some liberty, and I wonder if he had a few other rooms. And it gets better when I picture how this might have been. Verse 23 says, he gave orders to the centurion. Now you hear that and wait, your ears perk up. A centurion? In Caesarea? Where have I heard that? You go back to Acts chapter 10. Peter travels to Caesarea. Why? To meet with a centurion over the Roman or the Italian cohort. He leads him to Christ. That centurion is filled with the Spirit. He's the ranking centurion in Caesarea. And I don't know how it played out, but can you imagine if Paul's being led away from this trial by a centurion, and as soon as they get out of eyesight of everyone, this centurion turns and just gives Paul the biggest hug imaginable. And he's like, I'm a believer in Jesus. And, oh, that could have been the most powerful thing. It could have been a different centurion. We don't know. But clearly a centurion, the ranking one in Caesarea, was a believer in the Lord Jesus. And so for two years, Paul is there witnessing any, any way he can with anyone he can about the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we do the same. May we find ways and times to share our faith. I bet there was times where Paul just wanted to get out of, just be free. 
But God said, not yet. But as long as you're here, I can use you to do great things. The centurion, others, maybe they were like, we want, we're praying for you to be released, Paul, but we're also praying you're not because we just love having you here so we could sit under your teaching and learn about Jesus. And Paul made the most of it. And I want to challenge you, make the most of it. Pray for ways and opportunities. I was meeting with Dee, one of our elders, this week, and he, he, uh, he told me this great story. I loved it. He was in his rental just getting some work done, and there was a plumber there also, uh, you know, taking care of some things. He was a young man getting some work done, getting the place ready to be rented out. And uh, Dee was showing him some of the actual plumbing shark bite fittings and things he uses. And uh, as they're talking and uh, just kind of back and forth, the plumber asked Dee, so you, you just work here too, huh? And, and then Dee's like, well, yeah, but I mean, I mean, I'm the owner. And this young man is like, wow, you must be rich. You know, he's kind of like, wow. But then, and this is so great. This is how we, we just let God lead. Dee's like, well, I, I, I'm rich in a way, but in my faith. I, I, I am rich, but, but in God. And he, and he just said, that's just a simple phrase, but how can I introduce the Lord in this topic? How can I just let him know my, I am rich, but really in my heart of hearts, I'm rich because of God, because of Jesus. And, and, and I just want this young man to know that. And so he shares it, and then it starts leading to just more, more witnessing and opening up. And this young man opens up a little, and he hadn't been going to church, and he's like, I need to go back. And then he's like, you know, I, I'm going to invite, I'm going to tell my dad, I want to I wanna take him to church. And that will make him so happy. And all this great stuff comes out of it. But, but it goes on from there. They're out in the driveway, I guess, kind of wrapping it up or whatever. And it turns out the young man used to sing and play guitar and, and write music. And he's like, would, would you like me to share something with you? And Dee's like, sure. So <laughs> this young man's plumber's, you know, serenading him in the driveway, standing there. And, and Dee's like, well, that actually sounds more like a worship song, you know. And so that became another way to kind of connect and, and get this young man, ex, you know, thinking about church and about seeking the Lord. And I love that story because I'm like, those are the moments we all want to capture. It wasn't about the Lord, but that, that statement was made and his heart was like, how can I bring God into this? Because really, he's why I'm rich. And I want you to know it. And it was, it was just beautiful to go from there. The tragic thing that Felix says in this passage when Paul is witnessing is, that's enough. Go away for the present. He should have said just the opposite. I want to believe. How can I become a Christian like you? But he just put it off. May we never put off what God is calling us to do. I love 2 Corinthians 6 2. It says, In the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of God's favor. Will you turn to him? Maybe something today you're hearing, it's like, I want to have a clear conscience too. And we've looked at different ways to help people, not hurt them, to believe in the word, to believe in God's son, to be a witness. But the most important thing, and it begins with this, 
is believing in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. It starts with that. And he forgives us all our sins. He fills us with his spirit. He gives us the promise of eternal life. And he gives us a direction for living that he intended all along from the beginning and can only be found in him. And I hope hearing this today just, just speaks to your heart. And you're like, Lord, I'm going to follow. I'm going to yield my life to you, both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this passage of Scripture. I thank you that we can learn. And just through you, we can have a clear conscience. Even in our sin, we're forgiven. We're made clean. Lord, let these words of the Bible challenge us in ways they need to. Lord, each of us have a different application. I pray you would reveal it. And I pray we would be obedient to follow what you would have. And Lord, if there's anyone here who's just been holding off and keeping you at arm's length, Lord, please draw them close. Please break through their resistance, their doubts. Please help them overcome the temptations of this world. Draw them to you. And with fully surrendered hearts and lives, may they know the joy of forgiveness, the joy of having Jesus as Lord and Savior. I pray, Lord, you do a great work on all who are listening. This would be a powerful and meaningful day as we yield our lives fully and completely to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
is the rock, rock of ages. Jesus is the rock, rock of ages. Everybody, we'll see you next Sunday. Bye bye.